Romans. Get your Bibles ready or your gadget, whatever you may have. If you're looking for a Bible, there might be some sprinkled throughout the uh, worship center underneath the seats. We're in Romans 9, 1 through 5 today. Short section, but I needed to shorten it just a little bit. We are heading into a major section of Romans. Romans 9 through 11 is one of those major shifts into a new thought, and it's an important thought. Um, I'm so glad we've had the last two weeks of just extremely positive, God loves you, you can't lose that love. It's been wonderful. Just setting us up for some hard days coming, okay? This, these are some hard, deep truths in Scripture, If you don't like hard, deep truths, you need to go on vacation next week because next week's passage is so bluntly straightforward and I'm just amazed at how many Christians say, yeah, but I don't like that, so I don't believe it's true. And uh, I was telling Julie, we're into this section right now where you're either a biblicist or you're not. You either read the Bible and see what it says and believe that or you choose what you think is real and true in the Bible. It's very difficult to live life if you're picking and choosing parts of the Bible to believe in. Uh, I know some people that have simply, because it's hard, they've simply chosen to write Paul off and say Paul was just a misogynistic old Jewish guy and he, he's nothing due to The problem with that is it's over half of the New Testament was written by Paul. Uh, and so I will agree with everybody in saying chapters 9 through 11 are, can be difficult, weighty theologically, uh, but we need to look at them and we need to read them plainly. And if your beliefs don't line up with what Paul teaches, perhaps you need to take a look at your beliefs and, and, and decide whether you're going to be a biblicist or you're going to be like the rest of the world who bases truth on feelings and opinions. And you can't base truth on feelings and opinions. You just can't. And so it's going to be hard. Today's not as hard. It's a good introduction for the hard stuff, uh, but we've got some hard weeks coming up. Thankfully, uh, two Sundays from now, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, I'm gone. I'm going to Barrickell, and I'm preaching up there. And Ben's got to speak, although I gave him a softball. Uh, he's got Romans 10, focused on Romans 10, 9, and 10, which are some of the greatest verses in Romans. So we'll get through this. We'll get through this. Everybody say, we'll get through this. Okay, I would rather have you said that like you believe that, but I'll take it. I'll take it as it is. Um, but yeah, big change in focus. Big, big change. I have even talked to some pastors who preach through Romans. They don't preach 9 through 11. I'm like, how do you do that in front of your people? Say, well, we're not going to go through 9 and 11. It's just too hard. No, you can't do that. And so we're going to do it, and uh, we're going to walk through it. Hopefully it'll make sense to you. The big idea before we pray is the true believer is tremendously burdened for those totally blinded. I wanted to get the TB thing in there. So TB, TB, TB. It took me a long time to get those words. But true believer, tremendously burdened, totally blinded. Basically, what I want to let you know and pay attention to ahead of time as we read this is Paul's heart and burden for the lost people, especially the lost people of his, his own tribe, His people, he calls it a race. I don't know if it's a race, but it's the Jewish people. And he himself is a Jew. He called himself, he called himself a scripture Jew above all Jews. 
He was taught by what, Gagmiel or something like that? He was one of the highest uh, uh, of the uh, trained Jewish rabbi leaders. And yet he come to know Christ in a very miraculous way, changed his life. But you're going to hear here his heart for Jewish people, the people of Israel, that think that they're saved simply because they were born Jews. And Paul is going to make a case in the next three weeks. You're going to hear a case that salvation is by faith through grace alone. You can't be born saved. You don't get to, you know, graft it in because of grandma and grandpa, mom and dad. and has nothing to do with your lineage or race. It's only by faith. And that's important. Uh, earlier this morning, I talked about feelings. We're not saved because we feel saved. Anybody ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you just don't feel saved? It doesn't make you any more saved or less saved than you were the day before. Your feelings don't determine your salvation. Some people say, well, I think I'm saved. I feel like I'm saved. I go to church every once in a while. But let's take out that word feeling. And let's get to an objective truth. God's salvation as laid out in Scripture. It's an objective truth. The same way you might not feel loved by God sometimes, the fact is you are loved by God. That's what we just learned in the last two Sundays. Whether you feel it or not, you're still loved. Whether you're going through a hard time right now, it doesn't matter. You're still loved by God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I was listening to this song, Gratitude. It's by uh, Brandon Lake. If you have a chance, you've got to watch the the video of Brandon Lake with Natalie Grant singing that song with a black choir in a black church full of people singing their hearts out. And Natalie Grant, she goes off. It's a beautiful rendition of that song. But in it, she starts talking. And she, she said, uh, it's been proven that the human mind cannot have both anxiety and gratitude at the same time. They cannot exist in the human brain. Either you're anxious or you're praising. So gratitude becomes very important. Worship becomes extremely important in the life of the believer. It might not change your circumstances, but it should change you. Amen? That's what worship does. It's not about feelings. It's not. And your salvation's not about your feelings. So we're going to read through the section, and we'll walk through it today verse by verse uh, five verses, Romans 9, 1 through 5. Let's, let's pray before we read. No, let's read it and then we'll pray. Let's do that. Romans 9, 1 through 5. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Let's pray. Would you pray that prayer this morning? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be edified. I pray that Satan would be 
horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. If you watch the news at all, especially this weekend, you saw another shooting take place in Jerusalem, right outside of a temple after worship. Seven people killed, others wounded. I was going to put a map up of Israel on the screen, but I think most of you geographically understand that Israel is this tiny little postage stamp nation surrounded by nations who want to obliterate them from the face of the earth. (laughs) I mean, much bigger nations with all sorts of power, and they all want Israel annihilated. If you just step back and think about it for a little bit, how is it possible that this tiny nation could have survived when everyone around them wants to firebomb them off the face of the earth? You cannot come to any other conclusion but God's ordained protection over this nation. This morning, we're going to talk about Israel, and it really leads us into the section of 9 and 11, which is about Israel, and I don't know where you stand on that. I've been to Israel. My backpack that I carry all over the world with me, I have a a United States and Israeli flag on it, which sometimes that flags me, uh, because if you say that you're for Israel, that puts people's nerves up, right? Israel was God's chosen people. Nobody would deny that. When you look at Scripture, you see that God chose them. Why did he choose them and not the Magamites or the Perizzites or the Hittites or the Parasites? He didn't choose any of those other peoples. He chose Israel. And I say that this morning, and I want to say to you as a believer, to kind of understand that there is national Israel, there's religious Israel, and it would be easy to just lump them into one big thing. And I'm not a Zionist. I've been accused of being a Zionist before. I don't agree with everything that Israel does. They're a nation, and they're a sovereignty unto themselves. And so they make decisions, political decisions. I don't agree with all of them. And I don't have to. Just because I'm a believer doesn't mean I'm, I'm for Israel politically. But I'm for God's people. He chose this nation. So I, I do what the Bible says. The Bible says pray for Israel. It's kind of the same dilemma. Stick with me now, please. Okay, don't get mad. It's kind of the same dilemma we have as believers with the Catholic Church. You know, the Catholic Church deifies Mary. And honestly, the church is so worried about doing that, we go so far the other way that I wonder how Jesus feels about that. That's his mom. And I'm not saying that she's deity, but she is blessed among all women, the Bible says. So we, we have to be careful, right? The pendulum swings too far in, in directions. You can be a Zionist and say, Israel is Israel, they can't make no mistake, and I'm for Israel no matter what. And that's a little too car- crazy far, because it's political Israel and religious Israel. And then there's like, nope, Israel has nothing to do with God's redemptive plan, and I don't care about them, they're gone, they're past, and they're nothing. No, no, I, I think somewhere in the middle is loving and respecting God's people and praying for their peace. Just like we should honor Mary above all women. Uh, Jesus' mom, people. Let's be careful with that, right? I mean, you can do a lot of things to somebody, but don't start talking bad about their mom, right? So don't start talking bad about Jesus' kin either. Israel, he comes from the line of Israel. 
And you need to know that today as we step into this. Some hard things we're going to hear, but it's important that we know Israel. And because of that, I have called Rabbi Glenn. Those of you who have been around Oakwood for a long time know Rabbi Glenn. He's a Messianic Jew, Rabbi, which is he believes in Jesus. He's, he's a saved person. He's come and presented before. I've reached out and asked them to come at the end of February to do a presentation because it would fit nicely with chapters 9 through 11. Hopefully they will come so you can hear it from somebody a little bit more versed in the Jewish culture than I, because I'm not at all. So let's walk through Paul's heart for lost Israel this morning. We read the passage, and the first thing we saw was Paul's affirmation in verse one. He starts chapter nine with this big break. He's had these wonderful thoughts and now we got this brand new thought and he starts with, I speak the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Have you ever started a conversation with somebody like that? Listen, I'm going to, I'm telling you the truth. And that's not enough. He not only declares he's telling the truth, he's stressing the accuracy of what he's about to say. He's about to say something so bold that he wants to confirm with you And the people reading this letter, he's telling the truth. He's not making this up. He's not speaking evangelically. He is talking about accuracy. And then he invokes the name of Christ. I speak the truth in Christ. Now, okay, not going to split hairs here, but Paul, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't claim the truth based on like, I swear on my mother's grave. Don't do that. Or, or I swear by God, don't do that. We as believers, we shouldn't do that. Don't use God's name to, to prove that you're telling the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's why it's actually so amazing that Paul does this. The fact that he went as far as to say, listen, I'm telling you the truth in Christ's name. I mean, he's double dog daring, triple dog dare, right? He's gone all the way in what he's trying to say here. And then he says, what I'm about to tell you, I have a clear conscience And that conscience is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. So just in that first verse, I know you might speed past it. In that first verse alone, Paul is saying, I'm about to tell you something so radical, but it's true. I swear in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit gives me peace that I'm telling you the truth. That's what he's basically saying. In verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So Paul's affirmation turns into Paul's anguish. Everybody say anguish. By the way, this outline's not mine. I've seen it. I I was studying through this, and so many people use this outline. I'm like, well, I'm using it too. It's a great outline, the A's. Paul's affirmation, Paul's anguish. Here's Paul's anguish. He has great. If you looked up the word great in Greek, it's megas. Exceeding, immense, enormous, heart-wrenching, heartbreaking sorrow. Mega. Mega Mart. You ever been to a Megadons? Uh, I think that's in Brazil, right? Megadons or something like that? Uh, It's great. Great means huge. Not only is it great, it's great sorrow, which means deep pain, deep down. The word Paul chose to use here wasn't just, I feel badly. No, it's great megas sorrow, which is deep pain, deep down. He feels it. And it's unceasing grief means it never goes away. Paul, since the time of his conversion, he mourns the fact that more Jewish people, Israeli people, don't know Jesus. And it, it, it's in his heart. He mentions that at the end of verse 2. It's, it's this deep down anguish, and it's in his heart, which is the emotional center of any life. 
So what is this thing that he's telling the truth about that is breaking his heart? Well, it's his affection. What's Paul's affection? His affirmation, his anguish. What's Paul's affection? In verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel, the beginning of verse 4. His brain tells him that nothing can separate him from the love of God. Where do we get that idea? Anybody remember? Chapter 8. For nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And here he is in the next chapter saying, I wish that I were cut off. Paul, you just told us you can't be. He knows. He knows. Have you ever known something but wished it were so? I mean, come on. I can't think of any better illustration than having children. Amen. Those of you parents, amen. Kids, come on, man. You're breaking our hearts. You, you talk about deep sorrow that anguish that comes like from the heart is when your kids go off the rails, right? When your kids make choices and, and adult children. How many of you have adult children? Oh my goodness, you thought it was hard when they were under 18 and you could control them. Now it's good luck with that. They're adults, they're making their own choices and it's like, ah! And some parents just walk in this deep down sorrow. And anguish. And his brain tells him there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. But he says, I wish that I were cursed. Wow. I mean, parents would feel that way. I wish I would be punished instead of my child. But his heart is willing to trade places with lost Jews and be accursed if only they could be saved. I think Paul knows exactly what he's saying. Go back to it's true. In Christ's name, it's true. My conscience is clear. I would rather be accursed so that some of my own people would know Jesus. That's how deep this sorrow is. Accursed, probably a famous word, maybe you've heard before. Accursed means anathema. Anathema means to be damned or to be doomed. I made damned an underlined one so the teens could have something to write and that'd be cool. They'd be like, ha ha, I got to write it. To be damned or to be doomed to destruction. Paul is going all in here and saying, I wish, I would rather that people of Israel would be saved. And the heart of this message is not just think they're saved. Because many of them thought they were saved. We'll find out why they thought that in just a second. So what do we got? Paul's affirmation. We've got Paul's anguish. Then we've got Paul's affection, and it's for his own people. And now we've got Paul's assessment. So here's Paul's assessment of his own people, the Jewish people. Let's read verse 4 and 5. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, and the patriarchs. And from them, trace the human ancestry of the Messiah. So what's Paul's assessment? Paul's assessment is that Israel has squandered its privileges. He's looking at his own people and he's saying they have so much going for them. It's right in front of their faces. What have they squandered? The adoption as sons. As we started this message today and we'll continue on next week, it's going to be hard as we talk about Israel because there's no way around it. God simply chose them. He chose them. 
They didn't do anything special to earn that. He just chose them. And through them, he chose to provide salvation to the entire world. But it was through them. Remember how the Bible says, first for the Jew and then for the Greek? Special honor is to Israel. And they were privileged because they were chosen and given the adoption of sons. God chose Israel. That's what that adoption of sons means. Secondly, the glory. Well, what's this glory? It's, it's God made his glory shine on Israel. To this day, the fact that Israel still stands among nations who want to obliterate them is God's glory on them. He's protecting them. The Bible has words like a city on a hill, and, and that's what the Jewish people were, is a city on a hill uh, shining a light to the whole world. The glory of God was shining on Israel. It didn't shine on the Hamorites and the Hemonites. And the, no, no, it shined on Israel. Then God gave them the covenants, and there are a lot more than this, but the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, land covenants. There's so many covenants in Scripture. God gave them specifically to the people of Israel. These are specific promises that God made to them. What a privilege over other nations at that time. Then he gave them the law. And you're probably like, what's that privilege? Well, it was kind of a blessing to know what does God expect? God gives them the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and says, this is what I want you to do and not to do. Honor your father and mother. Do not make any graven images. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not come. He gave them the law. Other nations were winging it. They're just doing whatever they, you know, we got ash for a poles and we're worshiping weird gods that, you know, they made up, carved by human hands. But Israel has a living God. And he gives them his word on, on a tablet. They got the law. He, Israel knew God's truth and his way. The temple service. And I know that's the sacrificial system. And some of you are like, yeah, but that was, but it was given by God. God set up the sacrificial system. I want you to know that it all points to Jesus, though. Every one of those sacrifices they did were temporary. It was never going to work forever, the, the blood of bulls and goats. No, but it was to show them the, the sacrifice necessary to forgive sin. So when Jesus came along, he died on the cross, his blood poured out, he died and rose again, and he defeated sin and death once and for all, but he also conquered the sacrificial system. Not needed anymore. We don't need the bloods of bulls and goats. It's been done away with. Those were temporary. They lasted for a time, but then they had to be redone over and over again. No, no, Jesus came and once for all. Everybody say once for all. Once for all. No more need. The blood sacrifice has been satisfied. The propitiation. That means God is satisfied now. So it all pointed, and it was given to the people of Israel. They had that imagery. Not only the temple service, but the promises. All the prophecies from Moses to Malachi. Hundreds of them pointing to the Messiah that was given to Israel. All these things. And then the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Do we have any of those people in here? Is there an Abraham here? Where's, where's Abe Mao? Is he not here yet? He was in a bad accident. Yeah, they're all okay, good. Yeah, Gabe, Gabe was in a bad accident this week. We're thankful he's alive, but his brother is named after Abraham. Do we have any Isaacs? Anybody in your family named Isaac? 
Anybody know of a guy named Isaac? Oh, there you go. Anybody know any people named Jacob? Yeah, right? Josephs, we have any Josephs? Do we know of any Josephs? Yeah. You know, these, these names are, are used today. Sometimes they might not even know it, but, but like even David, uh, we have a friend who's serving the Lord and his name is a way to help share the gospel because in a conversation in a foreign land, he gives his name. My name is David. David from the prophet in scripture. Do you know David from the Bible? And it starts a conversation. These patriarchs were given to Israel. These are Israel's people. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. You guys think I'm crazy when I break out my old school songs? I grew up in Sunday school. We learned songs like that, right? Uh, we love those songs. But it's all about the patriarchs. And so we've got all, look at, look at the list. Just look at the list on the screen. Paul is deeply in sorrow because these people had the privilege of God's injection into their lives. Have you ever heard the phrase, every opportunity? That's what we want to do as a church, by the way. If you want to know, you know, people get fancy vision and mission statements. Honestly, with the children's ministries at Oakwood, we want to give every child every opportunity to know Jesus and grow in a relationship. I don't know if that's written down on paper somewhere, Jeff, but it should be. It's a really clear mission statement. We want every child to have every opportunity. What does that mean? That means we can't force it. Some of you might be thinking, how come I have three children and two of them turned out all right and one of them is just like their dad? I mean, what? How did that happen? That's what my wife says. How did that happen? The same mama bear. You think the three cubs would turn out the same, but they're not. They're all different, aren't they? Just like a parent can't guarantee a child's outcome, just like a church can't guarantee children's outcomes, we give them every opportunity. But in the end, free will is a real thing. <laughs> and they make their own choices, those boogers. And that's exactly what God would say about his people. I gave them every opportunity. The people of Israel, they had adoption as sons. The glory, the covenants, the law, the temple service, the promises, the patriarchs. And Paul cries out in sorrow. Even after all of that, many are lost to this day. Many Jews missed the Messiah. They're still waiting for, these aren't Messianic Jews, regular Jews, Hesiatic Jews or Messianic Jews. They're waiting for a Messiah to come. They missed it. They missed it. And Paul is anguished. One of the things I have to tell you right now is we, we talked about Paul's doctrine and Paul very much talks about election God's choosing, and that's a hard concept, and I don't, again, we don't have to agree, but next week you're going to hear Paul doubles down and makes it so erroneously clear. So here is the guy who wrote very clearly about the doctrine of election, and most people would say, well, that can't be, that just can't be true, because then why would you care about who, who doesn't know, because if, they, if they're not saved, they just weren't elect. It's not my problem. 
And here you have the chief author talking about election who is miserable. Wishing that he himself were accursed so that others would... Does this sound like a cold Calvinist to you? Does Paul sound like one of the frozen chosen? Living life saying, well, God chooses, so it's up to him and nobody can... No, here's a guy saying, I'd give everything. And this is what I want your example to be today. You should be burdened by anyone who's blinded and doesn't know the truth. You should be burdened. Again, how God chooses to save people is at God's level. It's not, I I don't have anything to say about that. I do know that at the end of all things, the Bible says we as Christians will say he does all things well. And I don't think we're all going to look back. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and say, God, you really blew that one. I don't think that's how it's going to be. I think we're going to get there and say, you do all things well. But that's above my pay grade. But I'll do what Paul does. I'll say, I believe the Bible tells the truth. And scripturally, election is part of God's plan. However, that's God's stuff. As far as I'm concerned, people need to hear the gospel. And I need to be burdened so that all would hear and all would know and that all might come. That's what Paul says, that all might come. So while I'm a biblicist and I might believe a hard truth, it doesn't change my practical life in the sense that lost people matter to God and anybody I share the gospel with can be saved, anyone. And I need to believe that and live that way. Because Paul's assessment here is people miss it and it breaks his heart. Is your heart broken? Out of all the things, out of all those privileges, he ends with that line, by the way. Verse 5, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. Paul makes it very clear, the Messiah had come. Paul was within, what, 40? We decided in our small group, what, 40, 60 years he's writing this stuff? I think we decided that. Between, after 40 years of Jesus dying on the cross, he's writing this material down. And he's letting people know Jesus is the Messiah. He wrote it in clean, plain English here for us to read in Greek, but we read it in English. Jesus is Messiah. And Jesus comes from the Jewish people. What a blessing. This is all their privileges. So the fourth thing is Paul's adoration. He ends this whole section with some worship, which is great. Paul ends by saying that Messiah is God. He's overall and forever praised. I love how he ends this thing. He knows the truth. He is blessed because he was one of these Jewish peoples that missed the Messiah. Remember, Paul was holding the coats for people who were stoning Christians. Remember, Paul was torturing the church. He thought it was his religious obligation to destroy Christianity. And then all of a sudden, he's on the road, and a light from heaven comes down. Boom! And he sees the light. I mean, this is like a classic testimony. If anybody could sing the song, I saw the light, I saw the light. Paul did, literally, blinded by a light from heaven. Not not all testimonies are that dramatic, but Paul's is rather dramatic. Makes me think about what was going on in heaven when God and Jesus and the angels were all having a meeting and they're like, hey, we need somebody to, to, to go talk to the Jewish people and the the Greek. We need to have somebody who would go and let's find somebody and, and God's like, how about that guy? That guy? Saul of Tarsus? He, he's against us. 
What do you mean that guy? Oh, he's going to be great. Well, how can we make this guy? He's torturing and trying to destroy Christianity. He's like, watch this. And Paul saw the light, and he became an incredible light to the world, both the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul's message was a message of adoration. Jesus is the Messiah. Friends, do you know him today? I mean, if you don't know him, my heart breaks like Paul breaks for the lostness, the blindness to not see it. Have you accepted Jesus as God's son, the sent one? And the Bible has great pains, goes to great lengths to show the lineage of Jesus. Julie and I were arguing about one of these passages recently as they were showing the lineage and -and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. You know what I'm talking about. There was a lot of begatting going on back then. So they're begatting so-and-so. And and, and Julie's like, well, why'd they leave her out? And I'm like, wait a second. This is the, they're giving the lines through the masculine line until you get to, and then talk about Mary in there all of a sudden. And they talk about how Jesus came and wow. But it's always there because they want the Jewish people to understand that Jesus comes from this prophesied line of Jewish patriarchs. That's who he is. He is the Messiah. Secondly, he is God, Paul. When he says that, can you imagine the Jewish people that are reading this? Romans comes out. The church in Rome is like, he just said Jesus was the Messiah. (gasps) He just said Jesus is God. Whoa. And then he says he is over all. And by the way, don't have this dualistic thinking about gods as if God is here and Satan's here. And you know, they're not equals. I hope you understand that, right? I mean, God created angels. Satan happens to be one of the created beings. He's not on God's level at all. But Jesus is God. He's over all. Not only that, he's forever to be praised. And then kind of like the first sentences of this little chapter, I'm telling you the truth, he ends with a great word. Amen. Those of you who are Presbyterians, amen. Baptist, amen. Right? We all know this word because everybody uses it. This word simply means it is true. I'm not surprised. Paul started by saying, What I'm going to tell you is true. And he ended the sentence by saying, it is true. Or so be it. Or yes, a thousand times yes. This is is a chance for me to like coach you a little bit. I wouldn't mind an amen every once in a while. Amen? Amen. Okay, now when I say that, you don't have to say amen. You could say, so be it. There you go. Somebody can shout out, it's true. true. Somebody can say yes. I like it. So you can use any one of those. It doesn't have to get bored. Or you can go to the old school. Amen. Or you can get in three people and have three-part harmony with the Presbyterians. Amen. Whatever you want to do. But this is an important word that puts a stamp on this section that Paul is going to take us through 9 through 11 and tell us the Jewish people were God's chosen people. No way around it. They had the privilege of God's word, the lineage of Jesus Christ, and many of them missed it. And that should bring all believers, true believers, totally broken for those blinded. 
Is your heart broken for people that don't know Jesus? If we can take anything away today, again, it's the urgency of the gospel. People need the gospel. Amen. <laughs> Have you ever been somewhere where you got a good visual on a big city? David Santos in Brazil, one of our missionaries. I took six teams to, to Brazil over my years. And, and each time, David would take us to uh, Hotel Italia or something like that. So the tallest building in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And Sao Paulo, Brazil at the time was the largest uh, city in all the world. I think it's overcome now by another city, but it's close. It goes on forever. Uh, I remember flying into Sao Paulo the, for, the, for the first time, and you know how the ding, and they say, prepare yourself for landing. And then I looked out the window, and it's like city. It's like city. And you fly for another half hour, <laughs> and it's all city. I mean, it's huge. I mean, I, I grew up near Chicago. I know big cities. I've been to New York several times, but Sao Paulo goes on forever. And in the center of the downtown of this city is Hotel Italia, which is the tallest building. And he takes every group to the top of this building, and he says to them, I want you to get up, and I want you to look out as far as you can see and realize these are lost people. One of the things David did is he took us to uh, the largest Catholic, um, oh, I, I want to say temple, I know that's not right. What is it? Cathedral, thank you. Uh, one of the largest Catholic cathedrals in the world is in Sao Paulo. He took us there, and there's thousands of people there. And we went through, I love old churches, by the way. I just, I'm a weird guy. I, I love going to old churches. A couple weeks from now, we're going to Savannah, Georgia. I can't wait to get there. I love walking through those old churches, right? But we're talking old, old, old Catholic cathedral, and we're walking around inside the catacombs and everything. And then David takes us over to this case, and it's a coffin, but it's all glass. And, and the, the inscription literally says, these are the bones of Jesus. And there's a skeleton in there. And I thought to myself, what? He said, yeah, Don. They believe that Jesus died and that's why they show him on the cross and he's dead. And they think they found his bones and so now they come and pray over the bones of Jesus. I'm like, he's, his bones aren't here. <laughs> and he's like, I know. They missed it. So close and so religious, yet so far lost. I think of the Catholics that don't understand who Jesus truly is. I think of the Jewish people who don't. So close, very religious, very well-meaning, and yet lost, blind. And our hearts ought to be broken. No cold Calvinist in this punch. We might know what Paul teaches about election, but that shouldn't change our heart for lost people. should have anything to do with our evangelism. Amen? Do you know the gospel? Can you share the gospel? I want the band to come up and join me. We're going to close by singing that song, Gratitude. And, and we, <laughs> we ought to be grateful. We might not be the Jewish people, but we have God's word. Amen? We have his promises. We know what he's given us. We know the clarity of the gospel. And we've accepted his salvation. We ought to be blown away by that. Why don't you stand with us? Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for Paul's teaching. 
I thank you that we also have a privilege. The children coming at 11, going downstairs, they have a privilege of hearing people talk about Jesus and moms and dads who pray with them at home. And God, we just pray that every child has an opportunity to know you and grow in a relationship with you. And God, I pray for those that are lost. God, I pray our hearts would also break. I pray we'd be, we'd be like Paul and we would want people to know. We, we'd give anything. We would pour ourselves out like a drink offering and say, God, if only one could know, if only one would be saved. Mm. 